Good evening. It is good to see each of you. If you're a guest, thank you so much for being with us this evening. What a wonderful, wonderful day. Uh, truly, it is a blessing to be a part of a congregation that leans completely upon God. And what a wonderful period of prayer that uh, we've had the opportunity to join in. Wonderful periods of worship today. Wonderful periods of Bible study. Listen, we are to be people that are grateful. And I want to encourage you to not take for granted the blessings that we have uh, to be together as a family and to worship and to study and to pray together. I want to share with you uh, an announcement I've been asked to make and a sad announcement. Dana Ann Ruff passed away and this is August Roof's um, daughter-in-law. And uh, Dana Roof's funeral will be at Bond Memorial uh, Chapel tomorrow at 11 a.m. And uh, we want to pray for uh, that family and uh, encourage them in any way uh, we can. I do not know her, but I know uh, her father-in-law and uh, that's a good, good family. Customs. What is your custom? If we had to look back over the last few weeks and the last few months, things that you do every day without fail, what would be your custom? You know, what's interesting is we could probably ask the people in your life and they could tell us what your customs are. Hey, what is it that, that your husband does every morning? Or what is it that he does every afternoon? Or what is it that, that your parents do? Or what is it that your children do? We tend to learn each other's behavior and their habits. And isn't it interesting that as we studied this morning and be turning, if you will, to Daniel, the sixth chapter, isn't it interesting that those that became an enemy of Daniel wanted to entrap him in something, but they wanted to do this by means that they could use something that he always did against him. They knew what his custom was. They knew that his custom was to be involved in prayer. A scholar said about a hundred years ago, well, does the hymn put it, Thou art coming to a king, large petitions with thee bring. We do not come to the back door of the house of mercy to receive scraps, nor to eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. But when we pray, we are standing in the palace on the glittering floor of the great king's own reception room. We stand where angels bow with veiled faces, where the cherubim and seraphim adore. Shall we come there with stunted request and narrow and contracted faith? He distributes gold. Do not bring before God stinted petitions and narrow desires. Remember as high as the heavens are above the earth, so high are his ways above our ways and his thoughts above our thoughts. Ask for great things, for you are before the great throne of grace. Last week, was your custom to bring great things to God on a daily basis in prayer? Last week, when you bowed your head in prayer, did you see yourself before the great throne room of God? Did you see yourself mixing your petition in as, as angels and seraphims also 
approach the same throne that you prayed. Do we grasp the blessing that we have to pray? And if we do, wouldn't it be that we could say, as it was said of Daniel, oh yes, without fail, it is our custom to pray. Daniel, the sixth chapter, verse 10. Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, and let's pause there because we have a wonderful, about 120 folks over here to the right, that they were on a retreat this morning and we're picking up in the middle of a sermon. And so when it says that the decree was signed, let's pause here and give everybody a reminder of where we are in the book of Daniel. You see, Daniel was, was a governor. Only three of those were in charge, second behind only the king of the Persian empire. And the other two governors were growing jealous and they wanted to uproot Daniel and they knew that he was faithful to the king and loyal to him. They knew that he was also faithful to his God. So if there was going to be anything that they could accuse Daniel of to catch him in a mistake that would cause him to not be worthy any longer to serve the king, they knew they were going to have to create the situation. They knew that Daniel's loyalty to God was greater than his loyalty to even the king. They knew his custom was to pray three times a day. And so they tricked the king into signing a decree that would say for 30 days, no one is to pray to anyone or any God other than the king. The king signed a decree. In Persia, once a king signed a decree, it could not be reversed. Not to get off on a side track, but you remember when Esther saved what would have been an annihilation of the Jewish race? You remember the king had signed a decree? He could not back up on that decree. And so they gave the Jews the information that it had been signed so that they could defend themselves. It's the same thing here. Once the king learned what he had done and that it was meant to act against the very life of Daniel, there's no doubt that he regretted it. But it could not be reversed. These individuals knew that. So what was it that they wanted to trap him in? Well, it was about his prayer life. Let's continue reading in the sixth chapter in verse 10. Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, that's the decree mentioned back up in, in 7, 8, and 9. He went home. And in his upper room, with his windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as was his custom since early days. Daniel, what's your custom? And he'd say, my custom is... I go into my room and, and I know he didn't say this, but I, I would just venture to say he probably missed Jerusalem. He missed being able to see that temple. He missed knowing that he was close to the holy of holy places there. And so he made the decision. God did not require this, but he made the decision when he prayed, he wanted to face the holy city. 
And so he would go to his knees. That was his custom. And he would go to his knees three times a day. That was his custom. He would go to his knees three times a day and pray. That was his custom. And when he would pray, he would thank his God, gratitude. That was his custom. Recognizing who is your Lord, who is your God. That was his custom. And you know what else? The reason it had been and had become a custom is because he had been doing this since his early days. We studied this morning about the beautiful thing about Daniel chapter 1 and Daniel chapter 6 is in chapter 1 you get to see Daniel at probably 15 years of age. And in Daniel chapter 6, you get to see Daniel at 90 years of age. And I made the plea to you this morning that there's really not that much difference. He was the same excellent man of excellent spirit at 15 years of age that he was here at 90 years of age. I'm sure that he grew and matured in his faith. But still, he was a man that could say at 90 years of age, it can be said about him, I've been praying like this since my early days. That's a custom. When you do the same thing in devotion and faith for decades, these men knew that that was his custom and they knew that they could allow that to become what they thought would be the downfall and literally the life of this man. I'd like for you to think with me for just a moment. We're going to look at about three or four passages throughout the New Testament. They're going to be on the screen if you just want to read them. I'm going to go kind of quickly. But I want you to think, what was the custom? We'll read Old Covenant here. What was the custom of the early church? What about the first day that the church was established in Acts the second chapter? And then by the time we get to the end of Acts the second chapter, it tells about some of the things that the early church was doing in her infancy. And Acts 2 and 42, and they continued steadfastly. You see, that's the idea that it had become a custom. They were continually doing something. They were steadfastly doing this. He tells four things that they were doing. They were continuing steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, and fellowship, and in breaking of bread, and in prayers. From the very beginning of the infant church, the infant church was in the custom of praying together. Look at 1 Thessalonians 5, 17. Pray without ceasing. That was the early church's custom. As we mentioned this morning, Daniel was a man that could not, not pray. The early church... If she was what God designed for her to be, she could not not pray. And that church today in 2013, the same thing could be said. The Lord's church prays without ceasing. What do they pray about? Everything. Look at the very next verse. Verse 18. Pray without ceasing and everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Very similar in Philippians 4 and verse 6. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your request be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ to Jesus. What do we pray about? The church that belongs to Christ, Christians that are truly disciples of Jesus, they are individuals that take everything to God and they say, God, I'm not gonna be anxious about it. I'm not gonna worry about it. 
I'm going to hand it over to you. And what are we to know at that point? We're to know peace that passes understanding. That, brethren, it's not my opinion and it's not your opinion. This is gospel. That is what guards the heart and mind. You want to go crazy? And I'm not saying that lightly. You want to go crazy? You keep all the burdens and you think you can work them out yourself. But whenever we're humble enough to say, God, I hand them over to you. We then can have a peace that passes understanding. And that's what guards the mind. That's what guards the heart. In a similar vein, if you will, look at 1 Timothy, the second chapter in verse 1. When I say similar vein, it's going to sound very different what we're praying about, but it leads to peace. And that's why I said a similar vein. Look at 1 Timothy 2 and 1. Paul, Paul says to Timothy, therefore I exhort first of all that, notice these different ways to describe prayer, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for who? For all men, that's what we did today, for kings and all who are in authority. Why? What is this kind of prayer life going to lead to? If this is our custom, what's going to happen? That we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. Listen, there's a lot of things to be concerned about. And we can spend time picketing. We can spend time sending emails. We can spend time voting. Not saying that any of those things in the right heart, in the right framework might be okay. But we can rest assured it's not okay if we are doing those things before we pray. If you've got concerns about our nation right now, When's the last time you've prayed for the politicians by name that are dealing with those bills? When's the last time you've prayed about the concerns that you have? Brethren, we really need to evaluate what is our custom. God is trying to bring us a peace that passes understanding. He's trying to bring us a life that leads to a quiet and peaceable life. But we have to realize it is God who provides that life. The freedoms and the peace that we've enjoyed as a nation for over 200 years is because God has provided that. And if we have it another 50 years or another 250 years or 500 more years, it will be because God provides it. What's your custom? The early church was taught to be in the custom to pray. They were to pray without ceasing. They were to pray about everything. They were to not be anxious for anything. They were to lay their burdens down to the Lord and let the peace that passes understanding come upon them. They were to pray about those in authority. Brethren, do you realize it's not 2013, the first time individuals woke up and said, I'm concerned about our leadership. Why do you think that was taught in the first century? You think Rome was a great place for a Christian to be a citizen? No. And so what is the teaching? Pray. Pray for your leaders. And now we look back at Daniel. Daniel, the sixth chapter. I'd like for you to notice. The decree had to be fulfilled. Daniel had to be thrown into the lion's den because that's exactly what the decree said would happen to anyone who prayed. 
And I would like for you to notice that the second thing tonight that we notice about Daniel was not only was he a man that had the right customs, but he was the man that had the right kind of suffering. Notice Daniel 6 and 16. So the king gave the command and they brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. And I want to pause there because we're going to read the rest of the verse in just a moment. Now, I know that most of you here know the rest of this story. You know that an angel was sent by God to close the mouth of the lions. And so you may have read that with me just then. And you may have kind of had the attitude of so what? I know what's going to happen to him. I assure you that if you have the opportunity to one day to sit down and ask Daniel, and you ask him about this occasion, and you treat it like it was no big deal, because after all, the lions didn't eat you. I doubt he's going to look at this and say it was no big deal. When you're second in command, and what means so much to you, is your loyalty to a king and your devotion to God. And you have been uprooted and held before your nation as a criminal. One that has gone against the king and one that has disobeyed a king's decree. And now the nation that you have served almost second in command is now executing you because of the excellent spirit that Daniel had I suggest to you with fervor tonight that that would have been very, very difficult for Daniel. And I can give you the same principle for Jesus Christ himself. What was so bad about dying on the cross? I've never done it. I guess there would be many things physically that I would immediately think would have to be horrible. I hurt when I have a splinter in my hand. I can't imagine a spike. I hurt when I feel like I can't breathe. I can't imagine my next breath being dependent upon whether or not I can pull myself up with an aching and bleeding body. But isn't it interesting that in Hebrews, the 12th chapter, or any other place in the scriptures for that matter, whenever anything is said about Jesus suffering upon the cross, he never spoke about the physical pain. The closest thing he got to addressing the physical pain was when from the cross he said, I thirst. But Hebrews, the 12th chapter and verse 2 tells us what he despised about the crucifixion. You remember what it was? He said he despised the shame. He had come to this earth and he had devoted his life to God and to God's cause. Everybody he met, he treated it in an upright fashion. Everybody he saw, he gave more of himself than anybody that's ever walked the face of this earth. How many times have we looked over at somebody and said, that's a good man. That is a good woman right there. Brethren, he was the best man. And they held him up like a criminal. They stripped him down and beat him like an animal. Jesus, how bad did that cross hurt? And I believe Jesus would say the shame was almost unbearable. Daniel, what about that lion's den? That wasn't a big deal, was it? I would suggest to you that Daniel would probably say the shame was crushing. That was a very, very difficult evening for me. Suffering. Here's the thing I've got to grasp and I can't make excuses when it happens. 
I must grasp that suffering is going to come. And what I get to decide is I get to decide, am I going to suffer for righteousness sake? Or am I going to suffer because I've lived a wicked life? But it's coming. And so the question is, which way are we going to suffer? Be turning, if you will, to 1 Peter, the fourth chapter. Remember this morning, we read the first four verses that were about suffering. And, and then I said to you, we're going to read the last few verses uh, later on in this lesson. Look at 1 Peter, the fourth chapter, and verse 15 and 16. And what I'd like to do is go ahead and read verse 16 first. This is the way that we want to suffer. 1 Peter, the fourth chapter, and verse 16. Yet if anyone suffer... As a Christian, do you remember the Beatitudes? You remember the last of the Beatitudes that will be persecuted for righteousness sake? That was a Beatitude. Blessed are those. God never looks at the opportunity that you and I have to stand for righteousness, even if it means suffering as a bad thing. God never looks at the opportunity that you and I have to stand for righteousness, even if it means suffering as a bad thing. We oftentimes do. God doesn't view suffering in the way we view suffering oftentimes because we view suffering as it's one of the worst things that could ever happen to us. And God understands that's in suffering that most of us grow and become the child of God that is reaching our full potential. You can either be a spoiled brat and cry out that you don't want any pain in your life or you can say, God, I come to you as a devoted servant. And I want to stay faithful to you, no matter what the cost. And so he says, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. Two big things there. Don't feel like that there's something now shameful in your life. If you're standing up for righteousness sake and you're suffering... Realize that in so doing, you are glorifying God. But there's another way to suffer on this earth. Well, all of us are going to suffer one of these two ways. Look at verse 15, back up a verse. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, as a busybody in other people's matters. Listen, what we sow, we shall reap. And so we go out and sow sin, you can rest assured that there will be a negative harvest that will come out of that, and that harvest will not be easy or comfortable. But that's the way it works. And so we look at Daniel, and we admire Daniel because he had the right kind of customs, but also because he had the right kind of suffering. And just in this last moment, let me quickly say to you that he had the right kind of influence. If you're looking back there at Daniel, the sixth chapter and verse 16, look at the last part of that verse. We already read the first part of it just a moment ago. And I want you to see the influence that he had upon the king. He's been thrown into the lion's den, or about to be, and this is what the king said to him. Daniel, your God whom you serve continually he will deliver you. Isn't that interesting? The king knew the God that Daniel served because of Daniel's continual service to the Almighty God. And he literally now is starting to put some measure of faith into Daniel's king, into Daniel's God. Now at this point, if we were writing the movie script, we would want to see what happened when Daniel was thrown into the lion's den. The Holy Script does not do that. The Holy Script goes back and shows what the night was like for the king. 
The next morning he rushes out. He'd been fasting. He'd been concerned. He goes out and he wants to know if there's any hope for Daniel. And so he cries down into the den to see. And look in verse 22, Daniel 6 and 22. Notice Daniel's answer. Think about the influence that he had. My God sent his angel. This was Daniel's answer to the king. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths so that they have not hurt me because... Now notice, can I interrupt here for just a moment? The word Daniel means God is my judge. That's what his name means. God is my judge. He's been spared of life and he's going to tell the king why he believes that his life was spared. And he gave two reasons. One dealt with him and his loyalty to the king and the other dealt with him and his submission under any circumstance to the almighty God. And so this is what he says. Because I was found innocent before him, and also, O king, I have done no wrong before you. What was on Daniel's mind? You think he still wasn't remembering the shame of yesterday? Look, you guys held me up as the biggest criminal in Persia, and you executed me. I just want you to know a judgment has been made this night. And I stand here in this lion's den alive because I was found innocent in the sight of God. And I have been loyal to you, King. I have not done anything wrong. What's the point? I don't think Daniel is bragging at this point as much as he is revealing the fact of that excellent spirit. When you do something wrong, do you shake it off as no big deal? Or would you have a heart like Daniel that says, whoa, that's not the kind of man I am. I, I, really, want, I really want to get this right. Because I want to stand before God and be innocent. I want to be able to look to my responsibility to others and be able to say, I'm blameless. We all understand none of us here are perfect. We're not talking about becoming some kind of arrogant individual that feels like we've earned our salvation and we have become perfect individuals. But as I said to you this morning, there is a big difference in that kind of arrogance and dumbing down righteousness. And when we get in the habit of just slugging off the idea of, oh, I, I sin, but it's no big deal. No, when we look at the great individuals in Scripture, one reason why they were so great was because they put so much priority on God's standard of righteousness. And so that was the influence that he had. That's what he brought out. And so the rest, we see the powerful influence. Daniel 6 and 26, the king's reply was, I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom, men must tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God. And steadfast forever. His kingdom is the one which shall not be destroyed and his dominion shall endure to the end. And he delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. So next slide, we have a review from all of today. And I want you to notice this. Daniel, he had the right spirit and because he had that right spirit, we studied about this morning, he also had and made the right enemies. 
who dislikes us says a lot about us. Tonight we've seen that he has the right customs. But even though he had the right custom did not mean that he would be spared from all pain. And the pain that he endured was for righteousness sake. And that brings us to this final thing. Because of those other four, he had the right influence. Listen, when we say, as we have heard prayed so many times today in our various prayers, about our influence to reach family members, to reach neighbors on our street, to reach friends that we've known for a long time, do you realize that, that if that is, if, if we are going to be a candidate to have that prayer answered, Right influence is very important. It's hard to answer a prayer righteously for God, I would assume, in a person's life who is not righteous. So tonight, let's close with that middle point today. His custom. Daniel's custom was to pray. Three times a day, on his knees, thanking his God. If your custom hasn't looked something like that, wouldn't this week be a wonderful week to start a new custom? Maybe you need to set your alarm just 15 minutes earlier. Maybe you need to find a quiet place in the middle of the day. Maybe you need to figure out the time in the evening that's just right for you. And again, it's not so we can check something off of a list. It's because we couldn't imagine living a day without being close to God. Tonight, if we can help you in any way move closer to God, if you're ready to be immersed or restored,